Today's scripture comes from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. This is the third Sunday of the new year, and we are refreshing our vision and what our, our values are. And um, let me ask our, our brother to put, um, you know, cast up from our website our values. And, um, you know, two weeks ago, I preached on, you know, what it means that we are gospel-centered and grace-driven. Um, last week, our brother Joe, our children's ministry pastor, he gave us a really fine message on on the, on the value that's called family, that is particularly on what it means that we are intergenerational family that believes in gospel counterculture, right? And, um, and uh, looking toward the future generations. Today, I'm going to look at that one in the bottom middle there called nations, uh, reaching nations and renewing cultures with the gospel, right? And so um, let's get into it. This, this is it's a, it's a, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's an absolutely incredible passage. I know there's some really weird stuff in here. Uh, some lamb that's got seven eyes. Um, I'll, I'll let me explain some of that soon. But, um, bef- but, but as, let me give you this little intro into this. It's about the problem of what afflicts all the nations and the whole world. It's the kind of thing that's why history is always going to be filled with 
strife and war and racism. It just is. You know, our, our culture, I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, in any way trying to make any kind of political statement here, but there's a lot of people in our culture thinks that we're going to solve racism, and they're, they're crazy. <laughs> that's, that's never going to happen, okay? That's never going to happen as long as Jesus does not reign. <laughs> and I'm going to explain a little bit about why um, we, there is so much problems of racism and, um, and prejudice in our culture, and our and this is highly relevant to us as a church because as a church, we are a very intentionally cross-cultural church. And as such, we have, to at least, we have to face what we don't know. And we have to use the resources of God, not our own personal righteousness, because it's not going to be good enough. It'll never be good enough, right? To get over our own prejudices and our own ignorances so that we could love people in the way they need to be loved um, through grace by the gospel. So that's my intro. Um, three parts. Part one, pride and prejudice leading to divisions and racism. Pride and prejudice leading to divisions and racism. That's the underlying problem that this passage is proclaiming a solution for. That's what I want to talk about, okay? Part two, the healing wisdom of humility and learning what we do not know. I want to offer some some application wisdom points that are gospel-powered here in this part too. And that's, so again, the healing wisdom of humility and learning what we do not know. And then I want to close by telling you the gospel the way this passage is, is proclaiming it, which is, um, worthy is the lamb who came, worthy is the lion who became the lamb of God, right? Worthy is the lion who became the lamb of God, only a lion who became a lamb can heal all racism and what ails the world, okay? So um, part one, so um, this, is, this is the framework you kind of need to think about, and it's not said explicitly here in this text, what is it said implicitly? And I'll get that, I'll, and I'll show you how, but let me, there's, a, there's an underlying sin problem that this passage is saying besets the whole world and all the nations. So this is a, a passage that's talking about all the different nations and all different cultures and races in the world. And they somehow, they, they can't ever be united. But here in Revelation chapter 5 is an ultimate vision. It's, it's, I know it's a weird book. It's the last book of the Bible. But here is an ultimate vision of what the Bible says the world will be. This is the way the world's going to become. And there is a problem that this passage is addressing, and that, pa and that problem is pride. So let me, let, me, let me try to explain it to you this way. You know why there will always be racism? Because human beings will always be filled with pride. Now, I don't know about you. Um, there, there's, a, there's a place in, um, there's this incredible chapter in a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and it's called The Great Sin. And it's all about pride. And, and most people who aren't Christians and who have a certain depth of their theology and what it means to know, the gospel, you know, to know Jesus Christ or the gospel have not wrestled with the question that pride is a sin. And quite frankly, it's the most horrific sin. And it's the sin that we basically, it's so completely normal, <laughs> we don't even think of it as sin. And we actually consider it as part of what makes us good. It's, that's, the, that's the messed up part. 
And so, what do I mean by that? So, um, so here's how this works. I could address this to you as an individual. As an individual, when you're growing up, you have to put your worth on something that you, you, that's special to you. <laughs> and so usually your mom or your dad, your teacher, your coach, or somebody will tell you something that's cool about you. <laughs> and hopefully it's actually true. <laughs> okay? You're really smart. You're really pretty. You're so athletic. You're going you're to be a star one day. Something like this. Maybe you were told that when you were three or seven or 12 or 17. Something like this. This is the thing that gives you, makes you feel like you have worth in the world. Because if you don't have anything like this, then what are you? <laughs> You're nothing. <laughs> and nobody respects you. Nobody values you. Nobody wants to hire you. Nobody wants to date you. Nobody wants to be your friend. And that's not just something about other people's perceptions of you. That would be your understanding of you. Okay, that's, that's how it is in all, all individuals. And so then we go find something that we believe this is what's cool about me and this gives me worth. And then, then here's the next thing. It solves the problem of insecurity. Because until you have this thing, you're a big nothing. And if you show up and you're a big nothing, you're just fearful and insecure every time, everywhere you go. So pride has two sides to it. There's the I'm nothing and insecure side to it. And I'm so good and I'm better than you side to it. There's the pride arrogant side. There's the pride insecure side. And they're both two flip sides of the fact that now that God is not, and there's no, there's no eternal, absolutely foundational piece of eternal worth in you. You got to go get that worth. You got to go earn that worth. You got to go make yourself worthy. But as soon as you make yourself worthy, oh, I'm better than you. <laughs> Am I being real? This is, this is how human beings operate. Okay. This is how it operates at the individual level. Here's how it operates at the national level or the cultural level. When you put a whole bunch of people together, you know what they do? They all share in a similar thing that says this is what gives us worth. That's what culture is. Culture is built on, there's a special thing about us, and, and that's not bad, okay? Because, you know, we want diversity of cultures. It's actually a beautiful thing that different nations and different kinds of people are good at different kinds of things. Ah, but then there's pride. <laughs> Every nation finds something that's special about themselves, and inside there, like, so let's say you are a warrior, you're a warrior people, What's great about us? We're the toughest. <laughs> we build the toughest people. Even our women are tough. <laughs> our women raise the toughest men. And even our women, man, they can handle anything. And so in order to be a tough people, you have to build certain virtues and then you have to inculcate those virtues into the young. And then here's what happens. Then you meet another set of people and they're not tough. Or they're not as tough as you. You know what you think? they're not as good as us. <laughs> you can't marry one of those people. They don't have our values. <laughs> they're not one of us. You get what I'm saying? And just name it on everything. This set of people, they study, they're artistic. Did you, ever, you ever meet artistic people? They don't tend to join the Marines. <laughs> 
right? And the people who are in the Marines, they tend to like to beat up the artistic people. Maybe you were one of these artistic kind of kids. When you were in school, you were pushed around by the tough kid. Now, just blow that up into a culture. And now you understand the world. You understand the world. Okay. This passage is saying there's a pathway to the healing, to the healing of this problem. The only way to heal the problem is there's got to be some odd figure. And that figure is going to offer some form of redemption, some form of way of releasing us from pride. All the nations that none of the nations could do on their own. That's what the passage is about. Okay. Do I have your attention? Is this interesting? It's interesting, huh? <laughs> it's very interesting. Now, some of you are saying, thinking, but, but what, what's with the line with the seven eyes? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let, let me just give you a little teaching on, so I can help unpack this very confusing thing. So Revelation is a strange book, but um, if you know certain things, um, it, it gets unlocked. So all these allusions are somewhere else in the Bible. The numbers, the animals, the figures, they all are some type of metaphor or picture of something else in the Bible. And in Revelation, this is an ultimate picture of how the world is going to come to completion. It's actually, it doesn't come easily. And so, so let me just explain a few things. All right, so the scroll. So there's one sitting on the throne. In his right hand is a scroll. There are seven seals around that scroll. You know what the scroll represents? It represents the ultimate knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And in this case, the one that's going to unlock the world and bring the world to completion. And there's a figure, and his name is John. He's the one who has seen this vision. He's the one who wrote the book. And he begins to cry because nobody can open that scroll. You know what that is? That's exactly where the world is. Nobody has enough wisdom. Nobody has enough knowledge. Nobody has enough righteousness. Nobody has enough power to unlock what's breaking up the whole world. And so that's why he begins to cry. So let's just start. The one sitting on the throne who's got the, the scroll, that's God. Okay? Then there is a lion. <laughs> okay? So it says, hey, nobody can open this up. And then an angel comes up and says, Weep no more. This is uh, verse 5. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That's Jesus. Okay? So just, that's all right. I want to try to explain it. Root of, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah Je Jesus is a promised king that comes out of Judah and comes through the line of David. That means the root of David. This is a reference to Jesus. Seven. Why does it have to be seven? Because in the Bible, seven is the number of per perfection and completion. Seven seals means it's completely close. <laughs> That's what it means. But if all seven seals are broken, now its perfections are opened. It's perfectly opened. That's the, that's the hope. Okay. Let's move on. There are four living creatures. I, the, the previous chapter gives you the explanation. They're fantastical creatures, okay? So I'll just tell you what, the, what they are, and I won't go into all. You really kind of need to study all of chapter four and all of chapter five, so I have to just give you a quick, you know, summary here. 
All the four living creatures represents every creature. They're from the east and the west and the south. They, they're the flying creatures, the land creatures, the fish creatures. They, all of them. It represents. So all the four living creatures will bow down to the lion who is Jesus. It's a representation that all of the universe, all of cosmos will bow down to the one who heals the world and all its deep, deep problems. Only he can break open the scroll. And then there's this thing called 24 elders. What is the 24 elders? 24 elders represents, in the Bible, there are 12 tribes of Israel. And God's chosen people is Israel. But in a sense, the 12 tribes of Israel represent all of Israel, but of the, of the Jews. But then when God makes Israel and opens it up to all the other nations of the world, the other, so 12 of the elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And the other 12, 12 elders, you know what they represent? All the other tribes of the world. <laughs> so 24 elders represents all of the Jewish tribes and all the other rest of the world's tribes. 24 elders represents every tribe, and this is where it says, for you have made them, it says, you are slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, 24 elders. That's what the meaning is. And so I want to say this one more point before I go to the second portion of, of, of my passage, uh, of, uh, of, uh, my, of my message. This is a vision of what God's kingdom is moving toward. There's a lion. And then this lion is the one who's the only one that can break open the seal. But then it's strange when you get to uh, verse six, between the throne and the living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb. Let me tell you something. The lion is the lamb. <laughs> that too is Jesus. The lion is the ultimate ruler and leader of God. He has absolute might and power. That's Jesus. But he came to serve and to sacrifice for us. That's the lamb. For those of you who grew up in the church, you always know that Jesus is the lamb of God. Here we go. But it's important here. You can see it. He's a lamb. He's a lion who chose to be a lamb for our sake. And then this lamb does this work. Verse 10. You, that is the lamb of God, you're, you're worthy of you to open the scroll. You were slain. Your blood ransomed people for God. Every tribe, language, people, and nation. There's where it says, verse 10. You, that is the lion who became the lamb, have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. That's every tribe and language and people and nation. This is what Jesus does. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Did you know that you were going to reign on the earth? Did you know that you were part of a kingdom? Did you know that you're priests? And here's this last part I want to get into. Everybody who is washed by the blood of the lamb and is redeemed to heal the world is now made a part of a kingdom and a priest. So a kingdom is there's a king that we follow and his kingdom will make a difference in the world and will be like no other kingdom in the world. There'll be priests of that kingdom, that's you and me, filled with every members of every nation. And so you're going, I, I never wanted to be a priest. Pastor, what are you talking about? Here's what a priest means. A priest is somebody who intercedes and helps someone else go to God. That's what a priest is. 
So there's God, there's us. Who can help me to go to God? The ultimate high priest is Jesus. But then that ultimate high priest, who is also a lion, who is a lamb, makes us priests. Every person of every nation, language, tribe, peoplehood will be made into a priest to go out into the world for the healing of all the nations. That's the calling of you and me. That's the calling of our church. To intercede for the nations, for all these lost cultures and all these prideful people that are looked down on other people, just like we still do, but we are at least trying in repentance to live as priests and then help them move toward and meet God. It's the call of Revive Church. Okay? So this thing about crossing cultures, it's not we live in multi-ethnic America. It would be nice if we can you know, be kind of like e pluribus unum and, you know, we can be multi-ethnic, multicultural. That, those are all beautiful visions and America wants those visions and quite frankly, got it from the Bible. But it's not, we're not doing this because we're just trying to be better Americans. No, because Revelation chapter five, it says, you are a priest unto God's kingdom for the healing of the nations. It is not an optional to be cross-cultural. And to live in a city like this, it's crazy not to, not to do it. Okay? Let's go to part two. <clears throat> part two, the healing wisdom of humility and learning what we do not know. Pastor, nobody's good at this. <laughs> That's probably what you're thinking. I'm not good at this. I don't think we're good at this. We're not really good at crossing cultures and reaching people in, into other cultures. And most everybody I know, they just like to go hang out with people who look like them, who eat the same food as them, whose ethnicity and culture is similar to them. And we have a little bit of breakthrough in our church on this, but it's, it's hard. It is hard. But it's going to be by God. And... The things I want to ask you to do here is not just a, a bunch of tricks. All of it has to be filled with grace and faith in this word and the grace of the gospel that will walk with us. You know, Jesus is, is he's a strange lamb who's got seven eyes, seven horns and seven eyes with the seven spirits. You know what that means? Seven horns means every rule and might. A horn is power and reign. Seven eyes means he has all seeing and all wisdom. And he pours out seven spirits, completion of every spirit that we need to be his priests. You need to trust in this. Now, let me offer you some um, wisdom points, some application. Number one, okay, the first one I want to offer you, and some of you may not think these are, are very hard. Um, in one sense, they're not hard. In one sense, they're everything, Okay. But um, there, here's the first one. I want you to learn to become self-aware. And what do I mean by that? Um, some of you guys have ever heard me, I've literally said it from the pulpit here. I'm about, I don't know, 40% Korean and 50% white American and 10% wannabe Mexican. And then some of you guys laugh when I say that part about wannabe Mexican-American. But that's kind of not a joke, <laughs> right? That's really kind of not a joke. It's actually kind of just who I am. You know, you should all kind of have some sense of who you are. Because you know what? You're all not perfectly 
Chinese or Korean or American or Vietnamese or whatever it is, ethnic makeup you are, Scottish, right? All of you, almost every single person in this room, you're some odd admixture of cultural identity. You know that? It's partially why you're in our church. <laughs> it's partially why you're in this church. And do you know that just because you are this way, there is a, an upside and a downside. The upside is you know how to relate. If you're totally monocultural, do you know that you're just so much worse at relating to people because you don't